welcome to the Blast From Our Past podcast. We are the podcast that brings those nostalgic nuggets back into your ear holes. We review TV and movies from our nostalgic younger days, and we also do recastings of those shows or whatever the fuck we want. I'm Adam. I'm John. And today we have a Turtle-rific episode. We are going to review the 1990 Teenage Mutant Ninja Turtles movie, as well as the animated Ninja Turtles show that ran from 1987 to 1996. And our casting is not going to be Turtles. No. We decided that there are too many new Turtle things going on right now. There's always like a Turtle show. And then they also have those Michael Bay movies going on right now. (coughs) Crap. (laughs) Yes, they are crap. And so we were tempted to cast them. But because they're all brand new and it's all mainly just voices instead of like a live action thing, we are opting to do a whatever the fuck you want casting today. Because of the fairly recent acquisition of 20th Century Fox by Disney, yay! (laughs) That means all of those properties that were owned by 20th Century Fox, X-Men, Fantastic Four, Deadpool, can now go into the Marvel Cinematic Universe. So similarly to how we did on the X-Men Batman episode that we had with the two brothers from the Dynamic Duel podcast, we are going to do a casting into the Marvel Cinematic Universe. We are going to take the Fantastic Four property and cast them into the MCU. Really excited about that. Which is going to be interesting because, truth be told, neither you or I are really big fans of the Fantastic Four to begin with. No, in that X-Men Batman episode that we have, I even say how much I hate the Fantastic Four and I find them to be a very boring property and just a boring comic in general. That's true, but I guess if uh, if we're going to have to have them anyway, because you know they probably will, we might as well cast it as actors we'd like to see portray these characters. Yeah, one thing actually that I believe Jonathan brought up is other characters like Captain America and Thor were all pretty boring and lame characters until the MCU really like did them right. And so if we did them right, if we cast the right people for it, I think this could be a team that would actually be fun and interesting and better than what we've seen from those horrendous films that we've had. So Teenage Mutant Ninja Turtles from 1990. John, what else happened in 1990? Well, we talked a little bit about what happened in 1990 when we talked about Home Alone. 1990 was a big year for movies. A lot of good movies came out and a lot of good songs came out. I'm not going to dive too much more into 1990. I've got a few things um, that I didn't mention before. At the Grammys in 1990, Phil Collins walked away with Record of the Year for a song called Another Day in Paradise. I like that song. Yeah. Definitely. I mean, I, lo- I love almost all of Phil Collins's entire collection. Yeah, he's great. The highest grossing movie of 1990 was a little movie starring Patrick Swayze and Demi Moore called Ghost. I love you. I really love you. Ditto. That's a good movie. I haven't I have not seen that one in a long time. But I mean it won Whoopi Goldberg and Oscar. Yep. At the Emmys that year, Murphy Brown and LA Law walked away with best series for comedy and drama respectively. <laughs> Murphy Brown. <laughs> And some famous deaths happened in 1990. We lost Stevie Ray Vaughan to a helicopter crash. Uh, that's why I hate helicopters. God damn it. He's my, he's my favorite guitarist of all time. We 
lost Jim Henson to pneumonia. Oh, god damn. He died in 1990? Yep. That long ago? Wow. And famed Rat Packer Sammy Davis Jr. died. And when he died, his widow found out that he was actually broke and owed back taxes. <laughs> and so she, she had his body re-exhumed to take off the $70,000 worth of jewelry he had been buried in. Wow. That is crazy. Yep. <laughs> That's just another little taste of what was going on in 1990. Digging up bodies and helicopters crashing. Wow. Okay. Without further ado, let's get into the turtles. The Teenage Mutant Ninja Turtles. 1990 live action film. It starred Judith Hogue, who played April O'Neil, Elias Cotius, who played Casey Jones, a couple other names who did the voices of some of the turtles. Corey Feldman did the voice of Donatello. He, he's from Goonies. He's from Stand By Me. We will be talking about Corey Feldman, I'm sure, a couple more times in this yeah. podcast. Question. Uh, yeah? Do you like penicillin on your pizza? Robbie Wrist. He did the voice of Michelangelo. And Robbie Wrist, funny enough for me, I think I might know him best as that really shitty, annoying cousin Oliver from the last <laughs> season of The Brady Bunch. <laughs> Yeah, he was that child, that annoying-ass child, when after Brady Bunch jumped the shark and was well past its prime, kind of like helps jumpstart that, oh, hey, the last season and we need ratings, let's bring in a dumbass annoying kid at the end. He did the voice for Michelangelo, which I just thought was hilarious. Wise man say, forgiveness is divine, but never pay full price for late pizza. Kevin Clash did the voice of Splinter. Anger clouds the mind, turned inward. It is an unconquerable enemy. And Kevin Clash, who a lot of people may or may not recognize the name, he did the voice and the puppetry of Elmo for many, many years. Elmo's riding his tricycle. Oh, hi, Big Bird. <laughs> there was a really good documentary, and I, I, I want to... I think it's called Being Elmo. Yes, it's a really good documentary on how the character of Elmo first came about. He didn't create the puppet originally. He was given the puppet, but he created the voice and really turned Elmo into the character you all know and love or hate. Yeah, <laughs> I think Elmo's adorable. I mean, fuck, who didn't want to tickle me, Elmo? Right. But yeah, he is no longer Elmo because of some uh, alleged mm, underage sexual controversy stuff. Which he was actually cleared of. Yeah, yeah, which was which is all dismissed. So that's why I emphasize alleged. Yeah, but he was pretty much the driving force of Elmo for a long time. Then a couple like small cameo roles, uh, Sam Rockwell, who is a hell of an actor played the head thug like one of the main <laughs> kids in the in the movie so sam rockwell's having a, a hell of an awards year right now he won a golden globe and critics choice for three billboards oh yeah yeah i've heard really good things well, Sam Rockwell's a hell of an actor. It's just pretty, yeah. you know, nice to see him get some other recognition as well. This movie, Teenage Mutant Ninja Turtles, was directed by Steve Barron, who is not really an accomplished movie director. He directed the 90s film Coneheads that, that we all <laughs> probably remember. Yeah. But he is actually one of the most accomplished music video directors. Ah. Steve Barron directed some amazing music videos. And not just like the songs that you know, but you know these music videos. He directed Aha. Take on me. That's everybody's like top 10 music video list of all time. Yep. He directed the Dire Straits Money for Nothing. Wow. That ain't 
working That's the way you do it Money for nothing and your chicks for free he directed Michael Jackson's Billie Jean. Oh, well, shit right there. Yeah, exactly. And he directed Toto's Africa. See, I don't know that video as well as I know the song. Yeah, okay. Fair enough. The song is more famous. But, like, those are four huge 80s mega hits that I just yes. mentioned right there. So, And at least those first three, I could probably clearly remember the video from beginning to end. Yeah, absolutely. And as you brought up Jim Henson's death in 1990, the Turtles were all the animatronics for their faces and whatnot were all done by Jim Henson's Henson Studios. Pretty cool tie-in there. Unfortunately, he was dead and did not probably see much of this movie go out and see its success and how much it really helped push the Turtles even further. True. Interestingly enough, though, he had some reservations about doing this movie because, especially in the script, there was actually a lot of violence. And that was actually something that some people took a lot of issue with was the amount of violence that was in the movie. Now, I remember seeing it. I actually remember the very first time, this is one of the few times I remember something like this. I remember the very first time I saw a trailer for this movie. This is the first time I actually remember seeing a movie trailer and being excited by it. And I remember it because... And you were probably about around nine or so when this trailer would have come out. Yep. I remember where I was. I remember where we lived. I remember exactly what was happening. <laughs> it's always stuck in my head and I don't know why, but I was home alone at nine because you could do that back then. And I saw the trailer. I was so excited about the prospect of a live action Ninja Turtles movie because I was already a huge fan of the TV show that I could not wait until until everyone got home. I think mom had either taken you and our sister somewhere or had gone to pick you up from somewhere. I think it was at the point where I was allowed to come home by myself, but you and our sister still had to go to the daycare center. But I think she, once she got home, because I always remember I was so excited and our mother could not have cared less. That sounds about right. <laughs> she was busy working all day and she comes home to your little 10-year-old, 9-year-old John just flapping on about the Ninja Turtles movie. And she's yes. like, uh-huh, I give zero shits. Leave me alone. <laughs> and I totally relate to it now because I have an eight-year-old who does the same thing to me. Nice. How perfect. I bet at the time you were probably like really heartbroken that she didn't care or, or you know, want to see this movie nearly as much as you did. Yeah. Well, I think I was more excited to tell you. I don't think Abby cared as much, but I was definitely more excited to tell you. Yeah, I definitely enjoyed the show, the cartoon, and so I was definitely excited about this movie as well. Uh, so let's dive on into the movie. We start off with some stock New York City shots. You get the New York City cityscape, etc. We get a newscast happening of a crime ring that is terrorizing the city with thefts and stuff going missing, and etc., etc. We actually see some shots of that crime ring in action. We see like a wallet being stolen and. And there's all these stuff taken from the back of a truck, which I love that shot, actually. Yeah. The way that they just golly the camera over to where you can only see the side of the truck, the, the delivery guys giving somebody their package, and then they dolly back and everything's missing. It's just like, it, they did a cool job with that. Kind of makes you wonder how they did that shot. Yeah, I always liked that one. Exactly. Because it was a chock full truck. It's not like they didn't use CG or any of that shit at that time. Like, they actually 
pulled that shit out of it. Right. We see these bug-eyed ninjas in a van (laughs) (laughs) in this opening section. We see a bunch of, like, a warehouse, kids in a warehouse with stolen goods and fast food. Uh, And that's how we know that these kids are on the wrong path because they're just eating Burger King. (laughs) And then they're reworking these stolen goods in a warehouse for this bug-eyed ninja group. (laughs) April O'Neil is who we see on the newscast. She's giving this report. She heads home. I love that right away she's got a yellow raincoat on. She's got like this big yellow kind of like trench coat raincoat thing going on. And I'm just like, fuck yes. That's all That's all you need. I mean, she doesn't really wear it for the rest of the entire movie and I don't give a fuck, but they put her in that right away. Right. That's what movies should be doing. That's what shows should be doing. Like, I want them in their stupid shit that I know them from, from their comics, from the right. cartoons, from the whatever. I don't want my X-Men in all black leather. <laughs> I want them in their stupid shit. Yellow and blue spandex. I want Wolverine in ye- yeah, yellow and blue spandex. I was very happy, even though that they didn't do it later on. Very similarly, I'll tie it into uh, the Luke Cage show. Which was a pretty good show. The first half of that show was amazing. Yeah, the first half was amazing. Exactly. Cottonmouth was a hell of a villain, and then Diamondback was a piece of crap, and it ruined it. But yeah, like they, what they do is they kind of have Luke Cage in like a yellow shirt as he broken out of prison, I think, and and he's got like a weird tiara at one point. Yep. But it's just like a throwback to that, and that's just fucking awesome. And then they put him in like a hoodie the rest of the time, and that's great. I, I love that. Move on. But just to kind of give you a little homage to what you know and love, I think is great. And they did that exactly with April O'Neil here, and that just that made me fucking happy my understanding was uh, originally they had a jumpsuit for her that looked a lot like the the one from the cartoon that she was going to be in and judith hogue hated it i mean it's not a practical thing like right y- you see that big yellow jumpsuit and it's just like that's kind of dumb that's a very cartoon thing yeah they didn't need it it, it wouldn't have really fit but like at least putting her in there to throw the homage to it yeah that makes me happy so she leaves the news station and she runs into some thieves who are stealing some shit from her van they try to take her purse and all of a sudden we see this sigh fly out and bust a street light and then it cuts to black and now we're hearing like fucking all these ninja moves happening people getting punched and you don't know what's happening because it's cut to black and we don't know what's up lights go back on and we see everybody is tied up and raf is kind of down in the sewers peeking out he accidentally left his sigh there that april grabs and puts away. Uh, John, tell me, you're you're a bit of a weapons guy. Tell me a little bit about the Psy. I think you even own a pair of Psy. Yeah, I own a pair of Psy's. Not that I know how to use them, but... Yeah, <laughs> yeah. but what's special about those weapons? They're meant to be grappling weapons. They're meant to entangle, so they're meant to, like, catch weapons on the way in. They're not necessarily, like, slashing weapons. They're more like catching and stabbing weapons. Okay, very stabby-stabby. It's kind of like having a trident, but a very, very, sh- with a short handle. You can catch a sword with it because it has these very long outward hilt in a fork formation that's meant to catch weapons as they're coming in. Okay. So it's kind of to protect you, you're used to catch, like, swords or bows or anything like that. And you always have two of them, so you can use the other one for offense while defense. I don't know the exact history, but the vast majority of weapons that sort of we associate with like ninja or just sort of Asian martial arts mythos, really, not really mythos, but the history, they all spawn from practical applicated items. One of the silliest conceptual weapons ever is the nunchucks. The nunchucks come from an old farming tool that they used to smash rice with. So all of it stems from something practical. If we're ranking 
their weapons out of practicality. Probably the sword is number one. Yeah. And then the bow staff. A lot of people don't give the bow staff enough credit. Right. That weapon will keep people away from you. You keep your distance. Pretty a badass, simple but badass weapon that makes a lot of sense. And then probably the sigh. Yeah. You can poke stabby stabby. And then the nunchucks. They look fantastic. But like if someone comes at me with nunchucks, I'm not nearly as afraid as if someone comes at me with any of those other three weapons. They're flashy. They look sweet if you're doing like karate tournaments and stuff, but they are not nearly as deadly of a weapon as the others. Right. Agreed. So April now has Raph's sigh in her purse. And we cut to some music, and we cut to the sewers, and we get like these shadows, and the Teenage Mutant Ninja Turtles title card pops up. Before that, though, sorry, I'm going to interrupt you. I love that the very first word we hear from a Ninja Turtle is damn. Yeah, yeah, Raph says damn because he left his sigh. In fact, the first three words that he says in the entire movie are damn. <laughs> yeah, he keeps repeating that. We immediately kind of see that he's he's angry. He's different. <laughs> yes. Well, and you also get a sense that this is very different from the cartoons. It's a different feel from it, which I love, actually. Yeah. I really love that it had a different feel from it. And I'm going to talk later about it because the director was trying to go much more towards the original comic feel of it, which if you don't know anything about the Ninja Turtles, they were created by Kevin Eastman and Peter Laird. And originally, they all wore red headbands. Okay, they were all the same? They all had red, yeah. The only thing that differentiated them, I think, was their weapons. When they sold the property to the cartoon, they asked Peter Laird to find a way to differentiate them. So he came up with giving them all the different colored eye bands and everything like that. Because originally, they were all red. And I only know this because when we were little, like probably around this time, I had a Teenage Mutant Ninja Turtles poster that was from the comic book, and they all had red headbands. Oh, okay. That's cool. I mean, that makes a lot of sense. I mean, that's such a part of them now is their different colored headbands. Right. Nice. So we now we kind of like actually meet the turtles down in the sewer. We get some, I think, a pretty funny joke early on of they're starting to say, oh, their classic turtle stuff of awesome, <laughs> righteous, bossa nova. What? Yeah. Bossa nova? Chevy nova? Like, it's just stupid. It's stupid humor that I don't think, you know, I, I, I get now because I'm held by, I mean, 32 years old and I understand that joke and I don't think I knew what the hell a Chevy Nova was or a Bossa Nova was as a kid. Right. But now I'm like, oh, hey, there's some other humor that not just a child would get in this movie as well. You get a damn already and you get a Chevy Nova joke, which <laughs> is great. <laughs> we meet Splinter. I like the Splinter puppet quite a bit. I think they did a pretty good job with the puppetry all over the board. So some of the mouth moves are just a little off. I mean, but that happens with every animatronic mouth puppet. Right. Well, and some of the ways they had to do is they, um, especially if they were talking a lot, they would record it at a lower frame rate mm. so that when they sped it up, uh, it would look slightly more natural that it was moving faster than what it actually probably was. Because I mean, I'm sure the robotics just couldn't keep up with how a mouth would actually move. Right. We get Splinter kind of like just being the father figure. He has his turtles meditate and they're being dumb teenager kids dancing instead of meditating. Well, this is like meditating. 
some funny stuff. Some good looking shots, honestly. Good job of basically separating the different fields of having someone up close in the foreground and then midground and the background doing some action. That's neither here nor there, but it just made me happy that this director <laughs> knew what he was doing. Right. Silly stuff. We kind of already get some just notions that Raph is a different type of turtle from his brothers we can kind of already tell that he is impulsive and he gets angry and he likes to be by himself and so he leaves and he goes off to a movie by himself where the rest of them are all kind of like ordering a pizza and just hanging out we get the pizza purchase scene we have a delivery man who's trying to find them and this is back in the day where we'll get it to you in 30 minutes or you get a three dollars off that kind of thing so they get their pizza they have to slip it down the sewer and he gives them back a 10 I find it funny. Uh, this this pizza would cost $13, which another in Home Alone, the pizza costs $12 each. So this one's 13. I guess I can do markup for New York, but I just felt like that those are both expensive pizzas. <laughs> At least the price of pizza hasn't gone up in the 27 years since this movie. So pizza technology has been able to keep the economics <laughs> of pizza down, which makes me incredibly happy when I think about it. <laughs> We see Raph walks out of the movie Critters, and he says, how do they come up with this stuff? Uh, I find it funny. I don't know why they use the movie Critters at all. Originally, they were going to use Batman, 1989's Batman. Oh, that would have been cool. Fuck. I can't remember exactly what the reason was they ended up having to switch it, but that was that was the original plan. Yeah, that would have been much cooler. Because Batman had just came out the previous year, so they were going to reference it. But they did Critters. I mean, Critters is a very cheesy horror movie, but yeah, okay. The real question, though, is how the fuck does no one notice a big, massive, green-faced guy in a trench coat next to you? I mean, it's not like a trench coat and a hat hides your face. Right. And there's, a, there's enough strength streetlights going on that anyone would notice this that's uh that's my take is people of new york either just are so fucking oblivious but <laughs> you probably you know 1990 is possible nobody nobody probably cared let's go with that uh he runs into some thieves and he stops them they were trying to steal this lady's purse i think they kind of jump this wall and here we get the introduction of probably my second favorite character in the entire movie uh only behind raf Raphael has got to be my most favorite character yeah because he's the most dynamic right. in this film the other three turtles are all interchangeable completely in this movie maybe leo has some of his own stuff that he's kind of dealing with but donatello and michelangelo are almost a exactly the same person in this movie but Raph is really something different and that's why that's why he kind of leads the story that's what I like about that but then my second favorite is Casey Jones the look about him his fucking goalie mask face he uses nothing but like sports weapons <laughs> right he beats people up with a fucking hockey stick with a cricket bat with baseball bats with everything sport the golf club at one point like but he he looks cool and maybe it's because I love hockey right and he's just got a great fucking look to him I gotta ask you as a hockey player first of all i don't know if i've ever seen a mask that looked like that no none of them look just like that but back in the day those were the kind of goalie masks to an extent and you know, this is like i'm talking like 60s uh, and 70s era is you know you didn't have full cage masks you didn't have a big helmet you just had a little strap on one right that just covered your face and you look at some old pictures they wore almost no padding at all basically putting on cardboard i'm a full goalie i i played a game last night actually i put on so much fucking like foam and leather padding like right you could come at me with a baseball bat and i'm not going to be touched like i'm right. going to be fine <laughs> right. like i can 
can fend myself off. I have so much padding. Like you watch old school goalies and it impresses the hell out of me because yeah, they only have like a thin layer of plastic with like a very similar style mask. Not exactly that badass of a mask that Casey wears, but something similar. And you're just like, holy fuck, no wonder these people look all ugly as fuck now. Like I get to keep my beautiful face because I'm protected. But those old guys, they have broken everything because they didn't have much padding. Uh, But yeah, he has a fantastic look to him. He wants to stop the thieves. So he's kind of like a vigilante in the city. It ends up they kind of Raphael and Casey end up clashing and they kind of end up fighting themselves, which is funny. You would think that they both would realize that they're both just good guys trying to help the city. Awesome shot. I've always loved this one. At one point when they're fighting Casey pulls out a cricket bat. He whacks the shit out of Raphael who flies up into the air. I always thought that was kind of like a fun shot and he falls into like a trash can and Casey says, Cricket? Nobody understands cricket. You gotta know what a crumpet is to understand cricket. I'll teach you. Six months six runs you know i definitely never caught before but i recently have tried to like understand cricket Uh which had nothing to do with this movie i just saw it on tv at one point and i was like the scoring confused the fuck out of me so i watched a couple youtube videos of how to understand cricket and you score six runs if you knock it like fully out of like the circle the cricket park the cricket circle whatever so he he smashed the shit out of raf and he kind of like it's basically like a home run it's it's pretty much a home run and you get six points for it and so that's what he says he got he got six runs for getting a home run on Raph's face. So I imagine no one in the U.S. got that joke. There's no way. I mean, John, <laughs> I, we've seen this movie, you know, what, 27 years ago? And, right. and it took me till now to understand what that was. Right. Because I know cricket a little bit better. I'm like, oh, I got that joke. <laughs> Good for me. But yeah, there's no chance that that was for the American audience. <laughs> the stunt guy that did the stunt where he drops into the trash can was actually injured on that shot. Ooh. They dropped him into the trash can and the helmet because essentially the turtle heads were helmets the helmet collapsed and broke his nose oh shit yeah (laughs) <laughs> that sucks. So right after Casey Jones hits him, Raphael chases after him. He runs across the street and he rolls over a taxi. The guy goes, you know, what was that? And he should look like a big turtle in a trench coat. The guy in the back seat of the taxi is the guy in the Raphael suit. Oh, that's cool. Each one of the guys in the suits had a cameo in the movie. The guy who delivers the pizza to Michelangelo is the guy in the suit for Michelangelo. The guy in the taxi, Josh Pice, I think is his name, is the one in the suit. Josh Pice, incidentally, is the only one of the four turtles who did the voice and the suit. Oh, very cool. Everyone else had a different guy inside, but he was already kind of an not an established actor, but he was already an actor who did martial arts that they really liked the way he was reading it, so they just cast him as the voice. So, and then the other two don't really get scenes with themselves. I think Donatello plays the foot guy who who slaps April O'Neil. Oh, yeah. I know exactly the scene you're talking about. The guy who plays Leonardo just plays one of the gang members in one of the scenes, but the two that actually interact with themselves are Raphael and Michelangelo. Nice. Meta and cool. I like it. Yeah. So, we cut back to their sewer lair, and Splinter is waiting for Raph. Basically just kind of gives him a lesson on family. He kind of calls out that he knows Raphael is different, that he would rather internalize his problems and do everything himself as opposed to his brothers who rely on their relationship with each other. Yeah, just kind of a nice a nice little scene that I like now that I probably thought was boring 
when I was a kid. We cut to April, and she's interviewing a police chief. She is giving him shit. Yeah, she she's not holding anything back because she really feels that this Foot Clan is fucking up the city, and she's really trying to push this police chief to do shit. And he's not having it. He's just kind of diverting, and he's a bitch. I don't like this police chief at all. <laughs> you gotta think maybe he's on the take or something. Yeah, it's gotta be something like that. Now we cut to, I think, our first view of Shredder, who is watching her on this newscast, and he's getting angry. He doesn't want people to talk about the Foot Clan. He wants to stay in the shadows and just keep stealing shit and growing his power. We just gonna see him get angry, and then we see the turtles are watching it, and they're talking about, oh, this is the girl that we help save the other day and they're just getting some kind of like horny jokes and like they're just being i guess they're being horny teenagers just talking about how hot she is and stuff like that which is fair teenagers talk like that (laughs) just fair if you're a 15 year old half turtle half man you you're starting to feel these feelings (laughs) and you don't know what to say at the right time and so you'll say some creepy shit at a newscaster who makes your downstairs turtle parts jingle adam i'm 37 and married i still don't know what to say at the right time (laughs) We see Raphael tracks down April and he follows her in a subway. She's going, I guess we're assuming going home or something. And the Foot Clan find her. And here is the scene that one of the Foot Clan slaps her. And it's just like, it's like a oh shit moment, I felt. That was a moment where you're just like, holy shit, this guy just slapped this woman. And it was just, I don't know. I never really, I mean, I kind of always saw it before, but I really appreciated this time sort of the almost, the almost humor in the way he kind of brings his hand and he goes, we have something for you. And he opens his hand and you expect there to be something and then there's nothing and then he hits her. And I really kind of appreciated it in a storytelling way. Yeah, that entire sequence just moved pretty well. It was just kind of, you know, it it was short, but it was like, oh shit, the clan's here what the fuck is going to happen oh shit they're talking to her oh shit he's got something he's going to give her and then oh shit he slapped her right like it all just worked really well and to her credit she doesn't run she gets pissed off and she just she pulls out the one sigh which they easily disarm her with and then she's like that's it and just starts wailing on him with her purse she's a firecracker Yes, yes. We all like April. I mean, uh, and Judith Hogue did a good job with April. I like her. She's uh, significantly better than Megan Fox (laughs) as a fucking fucking April O'Neil journalist. I I believe that she has journalism integrity. Right. I do not with Megan Fox. And one thing I found out that was interesting, can you guess who the person was who gave Judith Hogue all of her information on the character of April O'Neil? Walter Cronkite. No. (laughs) Damn. Robin Williams. Robin Williams? They were doing Cadillac Man together around the same time. And he was a fan of the comic and found out that she was going to be in it. And so he gave her like comics to read and gave her all the information on the character. Cadillac Man, highly underrated film. That's a very good, and it's a good like adult kind of- Very funny movie. Yeah, it's it's, it's one that I probably would really appreciate if I watched again as an older guy. Yeah. So April's not- really winning her fight against the Foot Clan. Raph comes in, he beats them all up, and she's kind of knocked out, and he takes her down to the sewer lair. A Foot Clan guy follows them. He sees the lair. April wakes up, and she freaks out because there's a giant rat in front of her with the turtles. She's freaking out. Hi! 
And here we kind of get the story. Splinter tells the initial story of how they kind of came to be. The ooze that kind of turned them into these mutant, you know, aging turtles. And he was the pet rat of a ninja master who was practicing the ninja moves in his cage while watching his master, which is just like, uh, that's not what rats do, but okay. Right. Now we kind of have the entire backstory of how they kind of came to be. Since April is all right now, they take her back to her home. She invites them in for pizza. A fun little cute scene of them eating their pizza and Michelangelo doing impressions and stuff. And they're just kind of like, they're bonding. It's a little bonding moment. We come back to the sewer and the entire sewer layer is trashed and Splinter is missing. And we get this one of a couple great Raphael screams where he just like goes up to the fucking sky and is... So all the turtles end up going back to April's. And I always thought the delivery of this line from Leo was a little bit interesting. April opens up the door and the turtles are there and she asks what's wrong. And Leo just goes, splinter. And do you know what I'm talking about? The way he says it. I mean, he's sad. That and it really hits home that they really are just kids. You know what? Yeah. Which doesn't happen all that much. I'd say particularly, I mean, even even though they do emphasize it a little bit with some of the stuff, like you forget that they're 15 year old, they're teenagers. Right. They are just kids. Yeah, they kick ass and, and they are carrying deadly weapons and whatnot, but they're just teenagers. And this, yeah, now they, they miss their daddy. <laughs> we have a, a scene where April O'Neil's boss comes over to her apartment. Kind of a funny moment where the turtles are having to hide from the boss and the boss's son, Danny, uh, who Danny plays a much bigger role in this film than I ever remembered. Danny is the catalyst for a lot of things happening in this film that I just kind of forgot how important of a character he was. And that character was just created for the movie. He didn't exist in the comics. He didn't exist in the TV show. He was just created for the movie. He wasn't an important overall character, but as for driving the plot, he was a big part of this film. Uh, Yeah, we get some scenes where Danny almost sees the turtles, I think it's Michelangelo under the table that he kind of sees in a mirror and then turns back and he's gone. And also, basically, her boss is telling her to stop telling the story about the Foot Clan. He was very quick, kind of quick scene we got right before that of the police chief apparently had like a, a police record or was going to arrest Danny the son because the, the son is kind of a part of this Foot Clan group or I guess, let me break it down. The Foot Clan, there are the ninjas. They're the actual ninjas and like the evil group, but they are utilizing children. They're having the children, the thrown out, discarded children, the youth of the nation. They're having them kind of do their dirty work of stealing shit and they're offering them freedom, I guess, and like, you know, do whatever the fuck you want and you don't have to have a parental unit telling you what to do kind of thing. So that's what they're offering the kids. And so Danny is a part of that. And so this police chief, I guess, has blackmailed his dad, aka April's boss. There's this whole kind of like this interweaved storyline amongst all of them of trying to bring down the Foot Clan, but Danny's now in it. And then, yeah, it's unnecessary, but I liked it. It kind of made more sense to me this time watching. So, but Danny almost finds them. So he's kind of like suspicious. We then cut to the Foot Clan party area, like just their big warehouse. It's a kid's paradise. The first shot is this kid smoking a cigar, which I thought was an awesome shot. The kid's smoking it well. And I'm just like, yeah, cool. This is a cool area. Kid who's obviously like 12 or 13. Yes. Sam Rockwell is the head thug in this area who's like telling the kids that you don't have to, you can do whatever the fuck you want. You don't have to listen to anybody, except you do have to listen 
listen to Shredder and Tatsu. <laughs> well, you know, threat of death will do that to you. Yeah, uh, especially Master Tatsu. That guy is scary as fuck. I, th- I think he did a great job. They originally were trying to get the guy who played Sub-Zero in Running Man. Oh, oh, really? Oh, Professor whatever. Yeah, but they ended up going with this other guy, which I think is a better choice. I agree. Because Professor Tanaka is a little bit sort of stockier, wider. I almost wouldn't be able to believe him as a sort of silent ninja master. No, definitely not. This other guy, Toshishiro Obata. He looks the part. He looks very menacing. He established himself as a badass right-hand man. He's just, right. and granted, it's basically just kids he's beating up <laughs> uh, <laughs> and, and, and imposing his will on, but he has the look of a badass right-hand man. Although, and the only thing that is kind of weird with this, obviously they use a lot of voices. The voice of Tatsu, not that guy's voice. Well, I didn't know that. I couldn't tell. Yep, it was a guy named uh, Michael McConaughey did the voice of Tatsu, and a guy named David McCarran did the voice of Shredder. Okay, you can kind of tell. They don't, you know, with Shredder, they hide him. He has got that mask. James Saito actually was the person of Shredder, but the voice was done by David McCarran, and the other guy did Tatsu's voice. Speaking of Shredder, here we get now the full introduction to him he kind of comes out to induct a new member into the foot clan we get this kind of like i guess little ceremony thing and he's just kind of showing all of that group that you know they're quote unquote like a family and they will take care of each other i have to say about shredder the costume design i think is perfect yes i think they did a fantastic job taking the shredder from the cartoon and the comic and putting him to the screen and he doesn't look stupid with all that hardware he looks right Yes, it looks practical. It looks like the combination of ceremonious and practical. Yeah. That you could actually believe that he would fight in it. Yeah, I thought they did a really good job with that as well. He looks menacing. He looks like someone I wouldn't want to fuck with. Uh, we see that Splinter is in the kind of the background. He's chained up and Shredder calls on his entire group of people to find the turtles. Lo and behold, who is there? Danny. He raises his hand and we know that Danny just recently saw the turtles. And so we're like, oh, fuck. He's going to give them up. We cut back to April's apartment. Raph and Leo fight about what they're going to do. Raph wants to be impulsive and he wants to just go out and try to find him right away. And Leo is trying to wait for April to help and try and do what he thinks is right. And so they can't really decide together. And Raph goes off to the roof to let off some steam. And this is something that obviously the turtles are used to. And it, it just, it works. I don't think I can speak enough about how much I like Raphael in this film. How real of a character he is. The Donatello and and Michelangelo, maybe Michelangelo in particular, they're just kind of silly. And and they work great. They're great for kids. I I enjoy their characters. Leo, you kind of see some someone struggling with leadership and trying to be the cool-minded leader within the Turtles. But Raphael, he is the most human out of all of them. And I think that's probably why I I gravitate the most to him. So Raph is up on the roof. He's, you know, just letting off some steam. Casey sees him. He sees the Foot Clan is there. They end up attacking Raphael and they beat the shit out of him. A fun fight scene where for a little bit, Raph is holding his own and he's beating them up and he's like, oh, how do you guys expect to beat me? I also think Raph probably had the best voice. He, he sounded so New York, yeah. where some of the others didn't sound very New York. Like Michelangelo, he sounds like a surfer dude, and he always has, even in the cartoon. Right. Uh, Raphael sounds like he grew up in New York, yeah, and I like it. In the mean streets. <laughs> yes. But he's basically like egging him on, like, how can you beat me? And then a shit ton of them go up to him. He's like, oh, that's a good move, or basically. I like how the scene is edited where you see him 
looking over and you see the foot coming in on him and then it cuts back down to the other turtles in April who are talking and then when it cups back up they're already in the middle of the fight you don't see the initial instigation of the fight which I l- I actually kind of liked it kind of just moved right into it yeah they did a good job the two scenes are intercut but they also juxtapose each other where the other turtles are just kind of like hanging out by themselves trying to be quiet trying to figure out what's going on or how they how they should go on with Splinter and then it's juxtaposed and intercut with the scene of Raph fighting these other guys and it's just like high action uh it's good stuff now adam you're an editor right yes or was an editor well you're still you're still an editor i'm a professional editor and i professionally now my job is to manage editors so this film was the editing debut of a very famous editor that i'm hoping you know named sally menke uh damn straight i know her fucking everything like pretty much tarantino does uh and fucking rest in peace she's no longer with us but she was one hell of an editor yeah wow i did not know that Sally Mickey edited this. That's very cool. Yep, this that was her film editing debut. That's awesome. That makes me really happy. She's one of the most famous editors out there in recent film history. Right. I didn't realize that she had died back in 2010. I didn't realize it was that long ago. Yeah, it was. It was. I, yeah, I forget how long it was, I guess, myself. But yeah, she, she died. And doing all of Tarantino's stuff, like that is intense. I mean, yeah. Tarantino's editing, he's known for the way that he crafts a story. And a lot of his story is crafted in editing and just the way it's put together. And she was a big part of that. I mean, and that's 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 awesome. This makes it makes me appreciate this movie even more. <laughs> so here, the clan, the clan are beating the shit out of Raph. They throw him down the sunlight in April's apartment and get some more fight scenes with now all the turtles and the Foot Clan all together. A funny scene where the action stops for a minute and you get the the nunchuck off. Oh, a fellow chucker, eh? <laughs> I mean, everybody knows the nunchuck off scene, I feel. And it's it's cute. It's funny. The Foot Clan guy is just like, oh, fuck, he knows he can't match Michelangelo's nunchuck skills. And the guy in the suit did a hell of a job looking badass with those nunchucks in that big fucking plastic turtle suit. Yes. And considering that his gloves only had three fingers uh-huh. and probably had to retrain himself how to do all of those tricks with a three fingered glove. It's impressive. Definitely. So to keep this one moving, Casey ends up entering, try and help save the day. Raph is knocked out cold right now. He is fucking out of it because he just got his shit rocked. A fire ends up starting in the apartment and they escape and Casey's kind of like getting their back, just kind of pushing more. Casey's a badass. I love how Casey, a fucking, the equivalent of ninjutsu training of being a badass is also playing hockey, apparently. (laughs) So any hockey player can beat up a ninja is what I learned from this film. Yes, absolutely. So I'm, I'm golden. I am going to go beat up some ninjas. I'm going to find a mask. I'm going to call myself Adam the Hockey Ninja Beater Upper Guy. That sounds like a pretty cool name. Our definition of cool is different. (laughs) Yeah. So anyway, they all escape. Shredder is pissed. He's also a little bit curious because from what he was told, he kind of feels like it's something from the past. One thing that I guess I hadn't brought up yet was Shredder. He was the one who killed Splinter's master. And there's this whole tie-in with all of them. And so he's kind of like now curious what the fuck 
were these people trained by Yoshi or is Yoshi still alive somehow or whatever? And then here, Danny is now starting to question what's going on with the Foot Clan and question like that they are going to really take care of him. And so he goes to talk to Splinter. We now get a cut to the old house upstate in upstate New York where they stay, which this is the second act and we're kind of slowing down. We're kind of like getting some stuff prepped up before we move into the last bit of the film. This is kind of like the slowest part of the movie, but they're just kind of hiding out and they're letting Raphael recuperate, who's still kind of knocked out. He's in like a turtle coma, I guess, from being beaten up. They really push the Casey and April annoy each other, but like each other in this part of the film. It's the two humans are around each other, but you know, they're kind of very bullheaded people, but they're cute together. I like them. Raphael wakes up. They're all back together now, and we kind of get, there's there's some training going on. And Leonardo does some meditating, and he kind of has a vision of Splinter. I guess him and Splinter talk to each other through meditation very briefly. So he has all of the turtles get together, and they meditate by the fire, and they talk to Splinter. This is my least favorite part of the entire movie. The seance type? Yeah, the seance. The seance whatever thing. Just, it, it doesn't make much sense. I'm a firm believer of if you're setting up the world of the film, then stick to your fucking rules. I can totally believe that we are in a world where turtles who ran into some radioactive waste are now teenagers and they're mutants and they're ninjas but now they have this weird fucking superpower where they can meditate and talk to their their master through seance and meditation he pops up like a fucking force jedi and and talks to them i don't like it because it pulls me out of the realism Uh of the movie because like every other part like i'm going along with it and i'm believing it i'm like okay yeah this can happen like i'm 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 into this like in this world this happens but the second they start fucking talking Talking to him over meditation, I'm immediately drawn out. Like, I'm like, no, that's that's too far. That, that doesn't make any sense. Like, that's a fucking, like, superpower thing. I didn't like it. That's my gripe with this section of the film. That was too unbelievable. I will believe everything else <laughs> except the fucking Force Jedi Splinter. It didn't actually bother me. I was thinking about it when I was watching it. I kind of thought about it, but it didn't really bother me so much because it does kind of go along with the sort of mystic chi element of martial arts. It's a short enough scene that it's not like it played a huge part in anything. No, it did. I mean, they would have like gone back to find Splinter and they would have figured stuff out anyway. But like, right. I don't know. I just felt it was too supernatural. Okay. After this chat with Splinter by the fire, they decide they want to go back. And now's the time to try and rescue him. They go back to their sewer hideout. And Danny has apparently left the Foot Clan and is hiding out in their underground sewer lair. Here we get a very funny line where we see Casey. He doesn't like the sewer layer at all. He feels apparently he's a bit claustrophobic. And there's a funny line where I think it was Donatello or someone tells him that he's claustrophobic. And he says, what is all this talk about spending the night down here? Mm. You're a claustrophobic. (laughs) You want a fist in the mouth? Mm Mm-mm. I've never even looked at another guy before. <laughs> yes, and I caught that that time, and I remember when I re- saw it this time, I thought, oh, man, I never would have caught that when I was a kid. No, definitely. I don't remember that joke at all. And it's just like, it's a little bit of Casey's ignorance. I found it to be a pretty funny line. So he's going to go up and sleep in his truck, which... Thankfully, he does because Danny, he sneaks out of the lair and Casey sees him. He's he's woken up by the sewer grate being opened up and Danny goes back to the Foot Clan base. He goes back to talk to Splinter. Casey isn't sure, obviously, but he follows him there. We then get Splinter telling Danny 
basically the story of his master, the love, murder, and fleeing to America. And Danny kind of puts together that the symbol that Danny is wearing on his head is the symbol for Shredder, but it also is the symbol for the person who came in, who killed Splinter's master and whatnot. So it kind of now it all kind of ties in that Shredder is this murderous guy. Shredder and Tatsu find Danny talking to Splinter and they can tell something's up and they're like, why the fuck are you talking to this big stupid rat? You shouldn't be talking to him. Shredder remembers that he was the kid who originally pulled out, you know, the info on the turtles. And he then finds this drawing that April did while they were up at the farm, I think of Leo, but she gave this drawing to Danny who had it in his back pocket. Stupidly, Shredder finds it and he pulls it out and he realizes that the turtles are back. And so they want to go back to the lair to go beat up the turtles. And they just leave Danny by himself. They knew that this kid was recently hanging out with the turtles and he was talking to Splinter, probably trying to figure out how to get him out there. And they just leave him alone. Shredder and Tatsu are dumb villains. <laughs> it didn't make any fucking sense. It'd be like, okay, we know that this kid is hiding something from us. And Shredder even says that, but he should be smart enough to take the fucking kid and chain his ass up too. Right. You would think that or just fucking kill him on the spot. I would be a much better villain than a lot of these people <laughs> just because like I would realize a little bit better of, oh, you just you just got to cu- fucking cap that person so they can't come back to bite you in the ass later. But anyway, Shredder says that basically he's not going to fuck up this time because he'll go beat up the turtles. He'll make sure that he is there as well. The Foot Clan go over to the sewer lair to go beat up the turtles. Casey finds Danny and they are kind of setting out to rescue Splinter. And so they're trying to unchain him, get him out. And Tatsu finds them. We get Tatsu beating the shit out of Casey right. in a in a fun fight scene until Casey finds a golf club, which goes back to if you can swing a sports stick, you can beat up a ninja. Apparently they don't know how to dodge anything properly, <laughs> but Casey beats the fuck out of Tatsu with his golf club. He only hits him a couple times, too. Yeah, yeah, he really does. I mean, you get another, like... Yeah, he lands a lucky shot and then finishes him off. Yeah, and then at this moment, Casey and Danny are kind of, like, I guess, persuading the rest of the Foot Clan to be kids that, you know, hey, this guy isn't going to uh, take care of y'all, you know, obviously. All the other kids switch sides pretty easily, in my opinion. (laughs) Sam Rockwell and his group of of kids, but whatever. We cut back to the Turtles and Foot Clan fight. The whole fight kind of migrates up to the surface. You kind of see them fighting like through the tunnels and then migrates up to the surface. We get a, a great line of one of the Turtles just as they're having fun beating up everybody. He just kind of like screams out to nobody. God, I love being a turtle! Fun stuff that they do in this film that just made me happy. And as a kid, I definitely would have gravitated towards that. But they beat up the entire Foot Clan and then enters Shredder with a badass, like basically bow staff that has two. It's like a double-sided spear. Yeah, exactly. And now Shredder is kicking their asses. And they made it up to a rooftop. We started at the sewers. We fought our way up to this rooftop. So now Shredder is beating the shit out of all of them. And now he's got Leonardo in a very precarious position. Basically, he is about ready to stab the shit out of Leo and Splinter, who had just been rescued he shows up right as shredder is about to kill leonardo and basically he confronts shredder slash roku saki in the dumbest move that shredder could ever do he starts charging splinter and he charges him from like 20 yards away right what person trained in ninjutsu wouldn't realize that okay someone if you're going to start charging me from that far away i can just step to the side right i can dodge it pretty quickly but splinter has grabbed a nunchuck that michael Angelo 
lost in the fight. They all kind of threw their weapons away at one point because Shredder had Leo in a very precarious position and he grabs the spear with the nunchuck and now he's flipped Shredder over the side of the edge of the building and he's basically holding on to him. Shredder reaches for a knife in his back belt area and he's trying to throw it at Splinter but as he does it Splinter catches the knife and down falls Shredder into this garbage truck that Casey just happened to place there very perfectly and then Casey uh, starts the trash compactor <laughs> in, the, in the thing where it can all assume that Shredder is now getting crushed, which is honestly a pretty dark thing to do. Yes. You know, for a kids-ish movie, you would think like, oh, you'd put take him into custody or whatnot. But no, Casey just fucking compacted his ass to death. I thought I remembered the scene being a lot gorier, like with blood streaks. And then having rewatched it, I realized the blood streaks I saw when I was a kid was actually just paint. Oh, okay. <laughs> so It's yeah. just chip paint on the garbage truck. The police come. And the Foot Clan are kind of all like now getting caught and it's all wrapping up. We get the Casey and April kiss that we've been waiting for since the upstate New York scene, basically. It ends in a funny scene with the turtles saying... I always loved when Splinter made his funny. And then we get a very cheesy song that was obviously written for the, this particular movie. With markings mysterious, all police and detectives are furious because they can't find the source of this lethally evil force. This is serious, so give me a quarter. I was a witness, get me a reporter. Call April O'Neil in on this case, hey, you better hurry up. End crawl, and we are done with the film. I'll go ahead and say my kind of final thoughts, and then would love to hear what else you have to say. This movie wasn't one that I really enjoyed dissecting it all that much. Some of the movies that we've watched, I actually have really enjoyed because like I write down the bits and pieces that, that happen in the film and I enjoy dissecting it. And so I, this isn't one that I loved to dissect, but it is one I still had fun watching. Yeah, It was one I definitely still enjoyed. I had that nostalgic factor still in me, but even without that, I feel it's an enjoyable enough film. There's enough adult humor mixed in with the kid humor to just be silly but the action is decent. It's not amazing, but it's fun. This is a movie, if I didn't have to like break it down, I would really enjoy just to have like a dumb fun movie night with my friends where you have some drinks and and you just kind of like, one, you could kind of talk over a little bit and just kind of like make jokes and and have stupid stuff. But like, I definitely enjoyed the film. It's one that I'll be watching this again. I actually own it. I own all three of the live action Turtles movies. Oh, wow. On Blu-ray, there was like a Blu-ray pack that you could get for like... 15 bucks or something. So I own one, two and Turtles in Time movie. I enjoyed it. I had a fun time and it's a fun movie. Like I said before, this one really made the character of Raphael important for the Turtles because what we'll talk about in the cartoon, Raph was no different. He wasn't this angry 
loner. I feel like this movie really, really added depth to that character that then every other subsequent iteration of the Turtles ran with. Other cartoons, other everything right. kept Raph as this angry loner guy that, where he wasn't like that before. And this movie really made that for him. And so, yeah, I think this movie was good. I, I definitely enjoyed it. And I would highly recommend it for anyone out there who might have enjoyed this movie as a kid. Give it a rewatch. Just sit back, enjoy, and I think you'll have a good time. I love this movie. I've seen it several times over the course of, you know, the last 20 years or so i actually even went and saw this several years ago a local comic book store uh, had this thing where once a month they would put on a film in a they would do a, a late night showing at like 10 p.m of an old nostalgic kids classic and i went and saw this movie in the theater with a bunch of people and it was one of those ones where everyone goes and everyone like spouts the lines along with it you couldn't go to it expecting like to watch it silently like everyone was like cheering at every scene and made for a really fun experience i just i love this movie i love it a lot i understand that that the original intent was actually supposed to be a little bit darker than it even came out. In an interview, Josh Pice said that the director was actually fired before the movie was even done. Oh, jeez. The studio did not like how dark it was actually going. The scene where they're in the farmhouse actually was longer, where they spent a little bit more time developing the, having to kind of re, not necessarily the training part, mm-hmm. the relationship between them. Apparently, the original was a lot darker. I actually would have liked that. I like that it went darker than the than the cartoon. I like that. Yeah. It was a little bit more adult. I've never read any of the Turtles comics, but I've heard that they can be pretty, pretty adult that they can be pretty dark the actual comic books the original comic books can be pretty dark and honestly i would watch a very dark tmnt now like if there was one that was kind of meant for adults and it showed them actually using their weapons like slicing somebody's fucking arm off and stuff like that i would really really enjoy that if they did that nowadays give me a six episode hour-long series on hbo like a mini series of darker kind of in maybe not necessarily like westworld but in that sort of that same sort of adult thing where you can oh yeah yeah or like put it on netflix like like the punisher or daredevil kind of stuff oh yeah i'm down yeah. six to ten episodes an hour each i would eat that up eat it up like turtle soup baby mm, i've had turtle soup <laughs> yeah good yeah it's yummy all right all right now let's discuss the cartoon show that really boosted the popularity of the Turtles and gave us the movie. Uh, we wouldn't have the movie if we didn't have this cartoon. Although, truth be told, Laird and Eastman were in talks for a movie before the cartoon came out. Oh, really? Yeah, there were talks for a movie, but they didn't like any of the suggestions. This wasn't like an extremely popular comic book, though. I mean, this was kind of like a... Well, this was like an independent comic. It wasn't ran with DC or Marvel. No, it was done with Mirage. But that's, yeah, that's not like a huge comic book thing. I mean, th- that's kind of like an indie group. Interesting. But yeah, the, this this show really helped blow them up to make it so like people like you and me were excited for when a movie would happen and it it kind of really made us want to go watch. This show ran from 1987 to 1996. I didn't realize it ran all the way to 96. Yeah, I didn't either. That is insane. That's a nine-year run for a cartoon show for a Saturday morning cartoon show. Like you don't get that. You usually get like five years max. 
Right. Obviously, this one was really popular. Obviously, people loved it. You kind of already mentioned how excited you were from the movie, seeing the trailer and a lot of that coming from this show. Before we kind of like get into it, I want to bring up, I had to hunt to find some of these episodes. I had to end up watching them on YouTube because they're not streaming for me and other places. But every streaming service that I was checking on, there are so many Turtles shows out there or like ones that they have done or that have lasted a few years. Like Turtles have really embedded themselves into kids action pop culture yes some of the shit that i ran into there's a couple recent cartoons there was that one that was running in like i guess the earliest 2000s to the mid 2000s that was probably like the most popular one can't remember who did it but that one was it was just called tmnt and that kind of like really repopularized the turtles uh there's like an even a more recent one now more recent cartoon as well as the michael bay movies turtles with lips <laughs> turtles with and without their big noses which is really stupid <laughs> They look dumb as fuck. Yeah. Like, just make them look a little bit more like the turtles, and I would probably be much more excited. But yeah, I saw the first one. I haven't seen the second one. I didn't really like the first one, and so I was just like, eh, I'm... I'm done. I haven't seen either. Not worth your time. But some of the other stuff that I ran into while I was hunting to watch some episodes for this podcast, I ran into an absolutely terrible live action TV show. And I kind of remember it. It was called Teenage Mutant Ninja Turtles, The Next Mutation. And it ran in 1997. So I guess the year after the cartoon was canceled. And I and I even just popped it on just for like a little bit to see what it was like. And it was awful. <laughs> they drove not like a van, but they drove like a Hummer. The graphics were fucking awful. The costumes were fucking awful. The voices were fucking awful. This was the one, if if you've ever seen or heard of the um, the character Venus, I think her name's Venus de Milo. She's the female Ninja Turtle. She wears a light blue. It was a piece of trash. Like I couldn't get through an entire episode. I was just kind of like skipping around and be like, holy crap, this is awful. So not all things Turtles have turned out good. That's for sure. And another thing that I found while I was searching for this, and do you remember? I certainly remember because I watched the hell out of this VHS. We had a VHS of the Turtles. It was called Coming Out of Their Shell. It was a live music tour yes i remember that yeah where the turtles are like in a band and they looked almost like kiss elements where they had like a fucking star on their face and or other shit it was so cheesy when there's music inside of you someday you know that it's got to come through that's why we're here we're telling you through we're coming out of our shell and they had terrible like songs and it was like this backstage you know like storyline vhs that we had the thing that i remember was we had the video that was the behind the scenes uh-huh. but we didn't have the video of the actual show drove me crazy because i wanted to see the show <laughs> but we didn't have the video of the show mom wouldn't buy it she just bought this one probably on a whim because i asked her to and then we never got to see the actual show i didn't even know that they were separate like i only remember the behind the scenes thing and i loved i watched the hell out of that thing now i'm gonna say this in that live show the instruments had to be arranged so turtles could use it so they, like there was a bass with one string yeah yeah and like a guitar with like two strings a few years later the band the presidents of the united states of america come out <laughs> bass player has two strings guitar player has three strings coincidence i'll leave that up to you come from a can they were put there by a man in a factory downtown anyway so there's there's just tons of TMNT stuff out there. Getting into the cartoon, and we sometimes talk about this later, but I just have to bring it up now. The fucking theme song. Teenage Mutant 
It is a pinnacle of fucking 80s theme songs. It is so much fun. It's still fun. It's the best part of the show. (laughs) Like, the theme song is so cool. So, it just gets you hyped, man. Like, I fucking love that theme song. We have April O'Neil. I don't need to go through the entire story of the Turtles, but we get April O'Neil in, like, this massive jumpsuit. You love her yellow jumpsuit. It works so well in the cartoon. We have this guy, Townsend Coleman, did the voice of Michelangelo. Hey, dudes, I brought you a special treat in honor of a totally special day. He was also, for us, we would recognize him as the voice of The Tick in the show The Tick. City, it is I, The Tick, your destined defender. Show me where it hurts. Spoon! Rob Paulson, who we've talked about on a couple occasions on this podcast, he did the voice of Raphael. Hey, there's not much work for solo mutant turtles these days. Who Rob Paulson is Yakko from Animaniacs. A couple years ago, Rob Paulson had a podcast called Talkin' Tunes, and on a couple of different episodes, he had the entire voice cast from this show on in like a panel discussion. Nice. I think they're still up, so if you go back and find them, if you want to, he's got some really good interviews. Actually, if you're interested in voice acting at all, go check out whatever episodes are still on of his podcast because they're really good insight into voice acting. So a couple, I mean, there's tons, tons of voice actors obviously have been used that we've already mentioned even on the show before. Been used for a couple episodes here and there, like Chris McNeil and etc uh, but i want to bring up if people didn't know this already the voice of shredder allow me to introduce myself i am a rokusaki better known as shredder that voice is james avery who you may not recognize the name out there but you certainly know uncle phil from fresh prince of bel-air that is james avery r.i.p james avery and he was the voice of shredder which not a lot of people knew that he did both of those but that's awesome I, I fucking love that little nugget of info. And I recognize that voice too. Rewatching and re-listening, you're like, yeah, you kind of, you pick up on it now for sure. The show is very 80s and 90s. It's cheesy. The animation is meh. It's, you know, it's 80s, 90s. Right. Mass animation kind of stuff. There's some ignorance to it. In the first episode, there's, you know, some newscast going on or something who's like, well, we know it was ninjas because this rope says it was made in Japan. And it's like, wow, okay, that's just, that's just a little bit racist or a little <laughs> yeah. bit fucking right. ignorant. There's that kind of stuff. But it's for kids. It was the 80s and it's super cheesy. A lot of stuff centered around, obviously, dealing with Shredder and his techno drone, uh, which was a big fucking like giant ball digger thing that like his base that li- that was a thousand miles underneath the crust of the earth shit like that and the villains that we all know and love bebop and rocksteady krang who was this this brain that had a fucking humanish kind of suit that it would get into the belly of and control it was all weird shit the, the foot clan had like these purple and black suits and they were actually as opposed to i don't know how the how they are in the comics maybe they're like this in the comics the foot clan were robots in the show and i'm assuming they did that so they could use their weapons on them and it wouldn't be blood and guts and they're not like beating up humans they're beating up robots and just made it a little bit more easier whenever you have like groups and you had to have massive fight scenes and you need to keep it like pg or pg-13 more often than not you need to have like a non-human massive villain so that way you can kind of like not show blood and guts and whatnot like you know even movies use it today like ones like the avengers they don't have like human villains they have the chitari aliens come in because that way you can kill them you're gonna keep your pg-13 rating right exactly what 
one thing that we need to bring up is they kind of diverged in the movie from how Splinter kind of became Splinter. In the movie, Splinter was originally a rat who trained with his master and then he got into that ooze and then he kind of grew up. In the show, he was Yoshi, who was the name of his master in the movie, but he was actually a human that was the rival of Barokusaki and he got turned into a rat. So a little bit different of a backstory with Splinter here in the show. I watched the very first episode yesterday and there was only one thing that happened that kind of bothered me because it didn't gel with what he said. In the cartoon, he comes back to find the turtles walking through the ooze and he says the ooze morphs you with the last animal you touched. Mm -hmm. And so since the last animal the turtles touched was a human, they morphed into the humans and he said, but for me, it was a rat. Except in the scene, right before he morphs into a rat, he picks up the turtles. Uh Uh-oh, we got you. We got you, show. We figured you out. It's a bunch of bullshit. That's the only thing that bothered me. Fair enough. In the show, also, Raphael, voiced by Rob Paulson, which Rob Paulson, his voice is pretty distinct, and you can pick it out. I can pick it up pretty easily. He's not a dick. Like, Rob Paulson, I don't think, could ever, like, play a dick. He's just too goofy sounding yeah so like but Raphael's not a dick he's just like he's just like every other turtle and they're just kind of funny and he's kind of sarcastic maybe slightly more angsty but like not enough where it was really a thing also in the show um Shredder apparently like created the mutagen this ooze that turned them into the turtles he also you know we get in the second episode you get Bebop and Rocksteady being created which is nice I'm glad we had them I don't want to talk about the show without talking about the toys and we had a lot of these toys like we got lucky with having as many some of the toys as we did yeah and we still have them today like they're at our mom's place that she uses sometimes when i think her godson comes over or uh you know his younger brother comes over the toys were fantastic and they got kind of like just like the cartoon they get crazier and crazier we had the van we loved the van we beat the shit out of that van (laughs) like there wasn't a single piece that wasn't like busted up at one point yeah we had like most all the turtles and a couple like extra turtles in different iterations in like their trench coat disguises we had some other stuff we had like the robot can't remember the gold robot i can't even remember his name uh we had a sh- we had a shredder we had yeah we had a splinter we had we had we had multiple we had everything stuff. Like, we, everything we were all about the turtles toys and then like even like a lot of like yeah the extra ones that probably didn't even make the cartoon we would try and get those like we loved those we used them all the time even to the point of a couple Christmases ago, I gave your kids a nostalgic Christmas where I gave your daughter a Teddy Ruxpin and I gave your son the van from Teenage Mutant Ninja Turtles. And I doubt that they use them anymore and that's fine. But it, honestly, those Christmas presents were for me more than they were for them because yes. it just made me happy and to I prob- give I probably enjoy them more than my kids do. Although I have a story to tell you. Up until once we moved into our, our new house uh, about a year and a half ago, the Teddy Ruxpin has still been sitting in the box that you got her in the closet. <laughs> of course. In the closet. Well, it, it didn't work. Like the, oh, the, okay. the internals didn't work. The Teddy Rux was from 1980 fucking five and I had to buy it on eBay. And so, yeah, just I guess it just was dying off. Right. So not too long ago, actually, only maybe like a month or so ago, every time we try to put her to sleep, she would start crying when we left. And it's like, you're, you're five. You, you should be past this by now. Uh-huh. You know, it's not like we, you know, just moved into the house or anything like that. It turned out that there was a Raggedy Ann and Andy doll and the Tutty Rexpin doll in her closet that she was scared shitless of. <laughs> 
And so I had to remove them from the closet and just set them out in the hallway. It wasn't until a couple weeks later, or maybe like a week later, that I got her to acknowledge the Teddy Ruxpin doll at least, and now it's one of her favorite ones. Oh, nice. (laughs) Oh, that's funny. I'm glad I could give your daughter nightmares. Yeah. But yeah, I mean, that's, you know, I mean, we all know the story of the turtles. They're teenage and they're mutant and they're ninjas and they fight crime, mostly fighting Shredder and all this kind of stuff. The show itself, I feel like we're glowing with nostalgia and love for these shows because we definitely loved them as much as we did. Rewatching it now, I did not like it. (laughs) I mean, it's perfect for a kid. It is perfect. And I would absolutely invite any kid who enjoys action stuff to watch this show. But as an adult, it is not one I want to ever experience again. It was just really bad. It didn't make any sense. The episodes moved very quickly without proper plot to drive them. There were bad jokes at every fucking turn. Even Shredder was like throwing out jokes that were just like, you're Shredder. You should be making fucking jokes like this i mean it was a very kid-centric show and i'm i don't mean to blast it on that i just mean like as a 30 plus year old guy this is not a show that i will be planning to watch ever again like this is not one that i'm gonna buy the dvds to watch like i will be with some other shows like i will tell you I have actually gone back onto Hulu and I have watched like every episode of American Gladiators <laughs> that they've got because I fucking loved it. Right. I mean, but that is a much more adult kind of show. Right. But even once like I've rewatched some more of the Batman animated cartoon uh-huh. because I, that show was just so good. This one is not so good, but I'm still glowing from watching the cartoon and maybe even more so. I mean, even more so the movie really did right. do something, how much I loved it and how much I really, really did still enjoy the movie. I really, really did not enjoy the cartoon nowadays, but it has a place for kids. It really, really has a place for action-oriented kids. Sit down and watch it and love it, and I hope they love it as much as I did, and it gets them excited and they want to play with the toys and all that stuff. So, it is a bad, cheesy show, but it is a great, amazing show that I am so happy I had in my life. Yep, it's pretty much the same way. I went back and watched it. I did kind of find myself wandering a little bit from and you know in the show I'd kind of get up and walk around while the show was on it definitely is more kid oriented and uh, there was a run where uh, my son was watching uh, I was able to watch it because I had a few episodes that I had downloaded for my son to watch a few years ago and he went through a period where he was watching the episodes a lot and really loved it and then he just kind of moved on from it like kids do they have no attention span anymore of course we didn't either so it's really you really can't say the kids don't have attention span anymore because I don't remember having attention span either when I was that age but yeah it's not easy to go back and watch kids can definitely still get into it it just doesn't have any of that subtle adult humor that some cartoons actually more cartoons i think nowadays are watchable by adults than the ones that were made in the 80s and 90s yeah i mean you get something like like a spongebob spongebob is littered with adult humor all throughout it and stuff like that where probably an adult who's babysitting or or just you know the parent just in the background is like wait a minute did they just fucking say that? And then they'll get like, they can chuckle to themselves where this show, it didn't. I mean, it was strictly for kids. It was great for its time. Great for the kids that watched it. Great for us to be able to to grow up with it, to have all of that love. That The, the love is never going to die for the turtles in my head. But right. the desire to watch the show and relive that part, no. I definitely will be rewatching the movie and probably the sequel and maybe maybe even try out Turtles in Time again. I've never actually seen the third one. Oh, yeah. It's not. It's nothing special. <laughs> <laughs> That's why it ended with that. But uh, yeah, I'm happy for it, but it can it can die. Let it let it die. <laughs> it can stay in our nostalgic memories, except for that theme song. I will always listen oh, to the God. theme song. Absolutely. 
over and over and over again. Teenage Mutant Ninja Turtles! Teenage Mutant Ninja Turtles! This episode of the Blast From Our Past podcast is brought to you by Domino's. Avoid the Noid with the Domino's Pizza Guarantee. We guarantee your pizza will be delivered within 30 minutes or you get $3 off your order. Guaranteed. And we guarantee your pizza will taste great. If you're not satisfied with your pizza, we'll replace it or refund your money. Only our pizza is guaranteed to avoid the noise. Domino's Pizza delivers. Call now. All right, and now we're going to do our casting portion of the show. And as we said at the top, we're going to do the Fantastic Four into the MCU. And as we said, Fantastic Four, not one of our favorite Marvel properties. If we're going to be forced to watch characters we don't really care about, I'd rather they be actors that I at least enjoy watching. I want to care about them. Yes. I want them to be cooler. And so hopefully we can cast the right people to make them proper for the MCU. I'm going to say this, and I know there's some people who don't really agree with me on this. Despite the flaws of the original Fantastic Four movies that came out, not including the one that they tried to do in 2015, because everyone who keeps up with that stuff knows that they put out the movie in 2015 just so Fox could keep the property. Yeah. That's the only reason that one came out. I didn't bother to see it. Actually, I didn't even see the the mid-2000s Fantastic Four movies until they were like on TV. Mm-hmm. I didn't really care about it then. But I actually liked the casting of some of the... Oh, really? I really thought that Ian Gruffold really did a good job portraying Reed Richards. Yeah, 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 yeah. He really had the look. And Reed Richards, he's a bit of a wet blanket. Like, he's yeah. a boring character in general. Yes. And that casting was fine. I agree, absolutely. I actually really enjoyed Michael Chiklis as Ben yeah. Grimm. Chris Evans as Johnny Storm. I didn't care one way or the other. Yeah, it's pretty, I agree. Apathetic. I did not like Jessica Alba as the Invisible Woman. She's the casting that I think most people have a problem with. She was way too young. Yeah, she was. She was very, very young. It didn't fit that her and Ian Gruffield were a couple. I just, I didn't believe it. Yeah. This was like like the peak of Jessica Alba as like the sexiest woman alive kind of thing. Um, And she's, I mean, she's amazing and she's, but this part was not right for her. That's for damn sure. So we're going to cast into the MCU since Fantastic Four appears to be coming into the MCU. If they were to introduce these characters, who would we like to see? We're going to do the Fantastic Four, so it'd be Mr. Fantastic, the Invisible Woman, Johnny Storm, and The Thing, and since he is a big part of the Fantastic Four, we're also going to do a recasting of Doctor Doom. I'm going to start by saying I'm not very confident in my castings. I'm usually pretty confident in a lot of the stuff. Uh This one, I'm sort of confident in a couple of them, and most of them I'm still, I'm not all that confident in right now. Okay. Well, I feel pretty confident about mine, so... Well, at least one of us is. You can be weak and pathetic and not know your shit. I know my shit. I'm happy with my shit. I'm confident in my casting. I'll still probably argue with you anyway. Yeah, of course you will. (laughs) All right. You know what? We'll just go straight down the line. We'll start with our our lead man, Mr. Fantastic, Reed Richards. He's a scientist. In my mind, he needs to be a little bit older. You know, not someone who's in their 20s. But someone who could have some grays. Gray hairs, absolutely. I went back and forth on a couple of people. I thought maybe Justin Theroux for a little bit. And I ended up not picking him. I actually went probably somewhere you didn't expect. I went with Brad Pitt. I... 
wasn't expecting Brad Pitt. Yeah, definitely wasn't gonna expect Brad Pitt at all. He's a little bit. He's older now. I don't know if I. I don't know if I like that. He's not someone you would expect to see in a superhero role. He's not someone you expect to see in the sort of brainy sciency role. But and he could do it. But I. I, just, I don't see him. I don't see him as Reed Richards. Well, that was my pick. So who is your pick? Well, you might not like my guy. <laughs> I'll say my backup pick was Peter Krause, who was the lead actor from Six Feet Under, and he was also in Sports Night. I think he's got like a perfect look for it. I didn't end up going with him, and maybe and maybe I'm feeling I should. I, I'm kind of back and forth, but the guy that I went with, I went with Ethan Hawke. He's about 47 right now, but he's someone who can definitely play, like, he's done plenty of action stuff, so he could do some of that stuff, but he's also, I, he's believable as a really smart guy to me. You know what? Honestly, I don't know if I like that. <laughs> okay. Do you like the Peter Krause pick that I had? I like your Justin Thoreau pick better than Brad Pitt, honestly. Yeah, you know what? I think I like your Peter Krause pick more than Ethan Hawke. He definitely has the look of a Reed Richards more than Ethan Hawke does, but I, I, you know what? I went with Ethan Hawke. I'm going with that, but yeah. Okay. That was a tough one. Mr. Fantastic, I guess, was probably the one that I was least confident in. The others, I'm pretty happy. All right, so now let's move on to the Invisible Woman. The wife, the love interest, the amazing Invisible Woman. She's very smart in her own right. She's got some awesome powers, invisible powers. She can do force fields and make shit invisible. Very famously a blonde in the comic. So for this one, I'm not going to lie. I was stuck between two people, and I'm still not entirely sure which one I like. So I'm going to tell you both of them, and then you can tell me which one you like better. Okay. This is the one where I don't have any sort of definitive pick. One of these actresses I've used before in one of our castings, I can't remember which one, but I was stuck between Catherine Winnick, who's in Vikings. I've talked about her before. Okay. And Katie Sackoff. Yeah, I mean, I, I know both of them. Catherine Winnick is a very glamorous. She's a gorgeous woman i think she has the better look between her and sackoff for invisible woman so between those two i'll probably go with katherine winnick i was leaning that way but i was i don't know i try not to use the same actor for too many different yeah. castings but sometimes they just fit the roles best yeah i think that's a that's a decent that's a decent pick i could see her being placed side by side with either justin thoreau or brad pitt and and working as a dynamic that fits probably better than those other fantastic four movies okay i actually very similarly had two different people i have a choice that i'm ultimately i am happy with and that's the one i want to go with but i want to throw out this i kind of went with someone who i guess she doesn't have like that classic blonde bombshell look that a uh, sue storm kind of does she has like a gorgeous blonde but also kind of like a Susie homemaker kind of look to her as well i try not to be insensitive but she kind of has that feel to her a little bit right. as an invisible woman the first person i wanted to go with was kind of like get away from that look a little bit and so she's still i mean a blonde she's an actress that i've wanted to put into something and i haven't figured out what to do it yet and she's someone who i like a lot as an actress and i haven't seen her in much lately and that makes me sad because I want to see her in more stuff. My initial thought was, you know, what if I do someone like Mena Savari? I like Mena Savari a lot. Um, I don't like her in this role ultimately. And so okay. I didn't go with her. I ended up going with a much more classic blonde looking woman who I think would work well in this role. I went with Allie Larder. She was in Resident Evil. Oh, yes. You and I both know her from Varsity Blues, the best yes. in her whipped cream bikini. <laughs> <laughs> that scene is burned into my brain. In the best possible way. And yeah, oh my God, oh my God, Teenage Adam loves Varsity Blues <laughs> and most of it is because of the whipped cream bikini scene. But Allie Larder really has that look. She's done some action and kind of stuff with Resident Evil before. She's a strong blonde, so it fits that. And she's also, you know, now she's, she's probably like 37 or so, I can't remember, you know, maybe like 10-ish years younger than 
than my casting for Mr. Fantastic. And that's enough that I think it kind of fits with the comic where uh, Invisible Woman is a little bit younger, but not too young that you don't think that they couldn't have a budding romance. Yeah. But she's also old enough to like, she has a presence where she could be, you know, I could see her being intelligent and being like her own strong woman in her own right. I think I'm going to go with your pick just because I too would like to see Allie Larder in more things and kind of miss her from the, you know, the 2000s era where she was kind of in a lot of stuff. Yeah, yeah. She was huge for a while and then not much recently. All right. So now let's go to the character I care least about, Johnny Storm. <laughs> the Human Torch. <laughs> Who is uh, Invisible Woman's brother. Flame on. I actually, I'm kind of like my pick. I picked someone who is probably, oh, he's probably best known for being Percy Jackson in the Percy Jackson films. Oh. I went with uh, Logan Lerman. That's young. He's a young kind of looking guy. Well, I mean, Percy Jackson was seven years ago. Yeah, that was a while ago. You know what? And actually just looking at Logan Lerman's IMDb real quick, he's only two years younger than the person I cast. So it's really, it's not, <laughs> not that different. I think that works really well. So I think that's a good call. So yeah, yeah. But uh, Human Torch is uh, kind of brash and the younger brother of the Invisible Woman. He can turn into a big ball of fire, basically. Yeah, I like that call. I like my call better. I went with someone who I think who could play like a hothead like that pretty well. And his older brother is already deeply seated into the Marvel Universe. I would cast Liam Hemsworth as the Human Torch and get both Hemsworth brothers into the MCU. (laughs) I think he has got a really good look for it. I think he could play that kind of younger brash kid. I'm very happy with my call as Liam Hemsworth for Johnny Storm. I could totally see it too. I I mean, I see it. I don't hate or dislike your pick at all. I just, I'm indifferent to it. (laughs) It's the casting of apathy, people. How fun. (laughs) Apparently it is. I don't know why. I I didn't get into this casting as much as I normally do. Okay, now one that I actually had the hardest time casting, The Thing. Okay. Full disclosure, I just figured out who I wanted to be The Thing last night. Okay. Normally I've had these like in my head for a while, but this one, because I had a hard time figuring out who I wanted to be. I saw a movie last night that... I actually really enjoyed, and I think kind of got mixed reviews. I don't know if you've seen it. I saw Bright. Oh, I have not seen it. I've heard very mixed reviews on that. I have too, because uh, I had one of my wife's family members saw it and said she hated it. I have a couple of people who said they liked it. I really enjoyed it. Okay. And the guy who plays the uh, second- Will Smith? Not Will Smith. The guy who plays second <laughs> to Will Smith, who plays the orc in Bright, is uh-huh. a guy named Joel Egerton, and he plays that characterization really well and I thought you know what I bet he would make a fantastic thing so my pick is Joel Egerton as the thing it's going to be largely makeup or CG so I went on based on like who can play a role with makeup and make me believe it and I really enjoyed it. I he's he's not really famous for many things and I just I really liked him in Bright so that's why I went with him okay yeah let's say I haven't really seen him in much stuff or haven't really heard of him all that much but okay I mean the thing is going to be heavy CG and as long as he can do it right I'm sure it could yeah go a lot of different ways I wanted to the Fantastic Four is a whitey bunch a very white, <laughs> yeah. white group. I wanted to kind of get a little bit of, you know, let's let's get some non-whiteies in here a little bit. And so I tr- for some of them, I tried to think of that. Uh, and the thing was one that it would fit pretty well. You also had to have somebody that could work well with Mr. Fantastic and Dr. Doom. In their backstory, they all went to college together. They all went to, I think, Empire State, which is like Marvel's university that they send everybody to in New York. Empire State University, that's also where Peter Parker goes. And so you have to have some people who are like around-ish the same age as your other castings for Mr. Fantastic and Dr. Doom, you know, at least within like a plus five, plus or minus five years, probably. So thinking about that, 
I went with a good actor who you may or may not have seen recently. He had a show, camera if it was on Fox or CBS. It was called Rosewood. And he played like this, I think it was a doctor. And I don't really remember much of the show, but I've seen him in some other stuff. He played like the friend detective in Kick-Ass 2. He's got a really good look to him. He's around the same age as Ethan Hawke and Peter Krause, who were my two main for Mr. Fantastic. His name is Morris Chestnut. And so I went with him as my... Ben Grimm slash The Thing. I have no strong opinions on it just because I don't really, having look at it, look at his work. The only thing, because I didn't see Kick-Ass 2. Uh, okay. Um, and I ha- admittedly, I, have never, I haven't seen Boys in the Hood. The only thing I'm looking at that I think I would have recognized him from was Under Siege 2. And it's been a okay. long time since I've seen that one. So Yeah, which was Under Siege on a Train. Yes, Under Siege <laughs> on a Train. And it didn't have Kelly Preston popping out of a cake, which is probably the biggest fault in Under Siege 2. That's another scene that is just burned into my brain for two two very important reasons. The left one and the right one? Yeah. <laughs> so I'm sure he's a fine pick. So like I said. So so the casting of Apathy continues. I'm just, it really is. I'm just really not passionate about this one. Damn it. All right. Maybe I'll get you with my last one. All right. So our last one, Dr. Doom, our big bad. I also had a very hard time with this one. I found someone who I think would have been perfect and then ultimately didn't pick him. Okay. Uh, actually, yeah, I, I might have the same kind of thing. My initial thought was actually to go with Jeffrey Dean Morgan. Oh, okay. Then I didn't go with him. Okay, yeah, we did not pick the same person, John. I okay. can tell. If you were leaning Jeffrey Dean Morgan, then we are not on the same path, and we did not have a similar casting or a, okay. a same casting in this episode. Okay, so, but I did not go with him. I actually went with someone who was actually one of my first picks before I even thought of Jeffrey Dean Morgan. I went with man who played the Red Viper in Game of Thrones. Over oh. Martel, I went with Pedro Pascal. Okay, that's good. I like that. I mean, again, kind of like, you know, mixing up. It's not just Whitey's. You get Pedro Pascal in there, who's a great actor. He's been in uh, Narcos as well. Yeah. I like that. He would probably play a really good villain. I, yeah, I didn't think about that. I kind of went with a, just a villain actor. Right. I just kind of like was like, you know what? I want with some, I want somebody who I know is plays a good villain. But Pedro Pascal, yeah, that that's a good call. Like, he, because he, you know, he could do that. I went with a Whitey because <laughs> Dr. Doom is also very famously like Easter. European has his own fucking country. Right. So I went with a European person. He's a British person, but he has played a villain before. Kind of a whiny bitch villain, but he is a villain. And I went with someone he, you cast him in something else, and I can't remember what it was, but I went with Jason Isaacs, who played oh, yes. Lucius Malfoy in the Harry Potter films. I think he just kind of has a look to Doctor Doom, even though you know, you get Doctor Doom in the mask the entire time, so you don't really see much of the face or any of that kind of stuff. But like, I think Jason Isaacs would do the part as I would want it. I can see that he does make a good villain. So can I get a little bit better than apathy for that choice, John? <laughs> yes, because I think I actually like my choice better. So I won't be apathetic that way. I think I like my choice better. I think I think my choice fits the character better. Probably. I do like your choice of Pedro Pascal because he's a hell of an actor. And I think he could do something with Dr. Doom that Jason Isaacs couldn't. Right. That is our very that was mediocre, our... subpar, apathetic casting to the Fantastic Four, the team that we have already established how apathetic we feel towards them and i was hoping we would both be excited about them going into the mcu but right now (laughs) it doesn't seem like we're gonna give a shit (laughs) yeah pretty much
Please join us next time for an episode with special guest Corey Stevenson. He's a buddy and a fellow 80s and 90s pop culture aficionado. He picked the movie and the TV show that we're doing, which is Monster Squad and the real Ghostbusters. And we're also going to do a casting of Ghostbusters. If you have any questions or any suggestions for movies or TV shows you'd like for us to review as part of your childhood, you can reach us at blastfromourpast at gmail.com or you can find us on Facebook and Twitter at at Blast Past Cast. That's at Blast Past Cast on both Facebook and Twitter. So until next time, I'm John. And I'm Adam. And thanks for joining us. See you next time. <laughs>